What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Stand by, everybody. Cueing music in three, two, and one. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio, conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate, with tonight's host, Jeff Hendler. This is Voice of Evolution Radio, and I'm Jeff Hendler. And today is another broadcast in our series called In the Soul's Waiting Room. You know, quite a lot of questions have come in since we began this series, many of them asking, is this for real? For now, here's what I'm going to say about that. I'm hosting this program. My guest is someone we're referring to as the keeper of soul's purpose. And we're talking about humanity through three lenses. There's the human soul connection, the environment, and evolution. All of that is for real. Beyond that, you'll have to go to our website, www.thevoiceofevolution.com to learn more. And if you missed the first two programs, they are available on demand. So please listen in so you can stay up to date with our conversations. I'm going to bring him on straight away since I know that's what we're all waiting for. Keeper, welcome. Thank you. I think we should be thanking you, Keeper. This is what? Our, uh, our third time speaking to one another about humanity and the world as it is today. It's been quite an awakening already. And, you know, shaking up a few beliefs about our stories, um, that especially. Yes. And I like that you remember to include stories. Stories meaning the truths that people make up about why things are the way they are. That's going to be very important for our conversation today. Great. And do you already have something in mind for today? Yes, I do. I'd like to share more about the second and third lenses. And we're ready anytime you are, Keeper. And Jeff, before I do, I just want to say that I'm curious to know more about what humans think of all of this. Well, I'll do my best to incorporate as many of the listeners' questions as I can today. I've actually had to personally remind some of my friends that we're not taking calls during these broadcasts, uh, that you've requested that. So jumping right in, Keeper, this idea of our stories. Old stories are being tested now at every turn. According to you, this is only evolution at work, as in only evolution. And this is my question, by the way. I think it's also the pulse of the listener. Does that mean the chaos we feel isn't real? Because it sure feels real. Absolutely, Jeff. It's very real. Everything about your lives is real. Let me see. How can I say this? It's like the overused story about the metamorphosis of the caterpillar. That gooey substance before a caterpillar becomes a butterfly is the chaos. And it would be incredibly chaotic as well if the caterpillar had the consciousness of a human being to understand what's happening to it. And it all happens without any ego or angst or hundreds of those Facebook posts you humans love so much. Okay. So Keeper, creating a parallel here. We humans need to trust our instincts and be willing to go into the goo. To let go, to let come. That's what comes to mind for me anyway. Is that the secret to surviving the chaos that we're in? Uh, and is that by design? Well, it is by design, Jeff. And yes, it is the secret to it all, actually. Letting go to let come. I like how you said that. It's part of the natural world to surrender and trust evolution, even if it's only a personal evolution. Uh, I get it. And, and 
just going with the flow is, is pretty tough for us humans because as you pointed out, we're conscious about what's happening to us and around us. And we've been burned so many times that it isn't easy to trust. Those stories typically and, and often define us. When we see something chaotic happening, we tend to go back to those stories and, and we process the chaos from what we know. Yes, and that's all well and good, Jeff, except when it isn't. Your consciousness goes only as far as your awareness permits, remember. There are filters at work here. If you really want to see chaos, just wake up to everything. And yet when you're really awake and ready for it, it's actually beautiful. There's no fear. I'm going to trust you on that one, Keeper. So let me add this. In the case of the caterpillar, it's a sure thing that it's going to become a butterfly, right? I mean, there's no doubt that the caterpillar is going to become a butterfly. You know where I'm going with this, right? Oh, I suspect you want to know if evolution will always turn out to be on the side of humanity and that you'll always evolve into butterflies. It would be really nice to know. And I'm afraid it's impossible to predict since, as we've discussed, there are always variables at play from human to human and within all of the lenses and their relationships to each other. You're seeing that in your world right now, actually. And even the caterpillar's outcome isn't certain. It might not survive the chrysalis. I wonder if any of your listeners have read Kafka's The Metamorphosis. It's a book in which the main character wakes up one morning as a giant beetle. It's a good read for those who want to understand what it is to awaken to a new story and to have to let go of something to let something else come in. Metamorphosis by Kafka. Thanks, Keeper. I'm going to add that to my reading list. So with all this in mind, how conscious are we? How awake are we? Uh, filters and all. You know, many of our listeners are asking, does humanity have the potential to wake up and take action? So let me zero in on that a little bit more. And the last time we spoke, we talked about Hitler and Gandhi. You said there weren't enough conscious humans back then to stop Hitler. It took us 12 years. I get it. But now, now there are plenty of conscious people in the world. And quite frankly, we're still stuck. So I'm thinking specifically of what's happening in Aleppo right now and the genocide there. Well, so many places around the world. We'd like to say the whole world is watching, you know, thanks to the internet and media and, and all of that. And I mean, if watching leads to awareness and awareness leads to action, that is one thing. But watching on its own doesn't do anything. So how would you respond to the listeners' questions about that? And I'll repeat, does humanity have the potential to wake up and take action? I hear your passion and frustration, Jeff. Human potential is unlimited, and yet it's rich with variables, which takes us back to chaos, doesn't it? So I want to suggest something here. I want to suggest that you humans are seeing the chaos that's happening in the world and the chaos that happens to each of you personally as two separate things, when in reality they're the same thing, and they both have the potential to impact each of you. I think what I hear you saying, Keeper, is that if it's not in our faces, we don't do anything about it that it's got to be personal. I mean, is that it? Ironic, isn't it? That even without the certainty of knowing that everything will be okay and not knowing what you'll all turn into at the end of it all, you still don't take action for your own outcomes. That's a generalization, of course, because in reality, some of you humans do that and more. And I think if you knew that everything was going to work out in your favor at the end, you'd be even less willing to take action. So I'm wondering how you'd respond to that, Jeff. Hmm. I don't know. You may be right. It may just be that we can't imagine it turning out any other way than in our favor, kind of like the caterpillar and the butterfly. For example, we watch movies all the time that threaten humanity and Earth, and the ending is always a happy one. I mean, how many times have they tried to blow up Washington and New York in movies, for example? 
I'm trying to think of a situation where a movie ended with the annihilation of humanity, and, and frankly, I just can't. We always seem to win. Maybe we as humans just can't perceive of the worst happening, and maybe we're relying on others to step in and, and that they're going to save the day. Well, if you remember our conversations from last time, Jeff, there's actually no they. Mm-hmm. We're the ones we've been waiting for. That's another overused example. Yeah, it's quite apropos here. So here's what I'm going to suggest. We talked last time we met about that time in human history that seemed terribly dark to you, perhaps the darkest time of humanity. Why did it take that darkness to move humanity into an evolution or revolution? Why not before? Why not at the first glimpse of a possible disaster? I honestly don't know how to answer that, except to say for all the reasons that you've already cited. We saw it as separate from us. We didn't think it was going to impact us. Okay, so let's pick up on an issue that the Earth is experiencing today and discuss it from that perspective. Otherwise, we'll just keep going round and round in circles. True, yes. Uh, Okay, uh, let me think. Uh, Oh, oh, I already have one. (laughs) Keeper, did you just set me up? Uh, I I don't know, did I? I believe you did. You're, uh, You're becoming quite fluent in human, by the way. And that's a little scary. I'll take that as a compliment, coming from a human. It was my intention today to talk about the environment, the second lens. So let's make our example about climate change and global warming. So your listener's question, does humanity have the potential to wake up and take action, is exactly what I was waiting for. By design or synchronicity? Oh, it really doesn't matter. And after all, it's all connected, remember? You know, if I may, it was just in the news. Uh, Well, not too recently, actually. That if only for a short time, Earth crossed a temperature threshold, a change in temperature that was predicted by scientists as a tipping point. The news reported that Earth exceeded this two degrees Celsius mark, which has been designated as a do not cross threshold for the world. So it's supposed to be the point of no return for Earth and human civilization. It was only temporary, of course, yet we still crossed the line. And it's not only your scientists who see that as a terrifying milestone, actually. There were... um rumblings, let's call them, in the infinite as well. I mean, it was the first time in human civilization that it happened. It was a big deal crossing the threshold. It certainly was. Is that a yes, it was a big deal, or yes, we've crossed a threshold? Oh, that was a yes and, because choice is always in the realm. So let me ask you this. In this darkest of human hours, when two degrees Celsius became a reality for the first time in human history, what did humanity do? Did everyone in the world stand up and say, stop, we must stop? Actually, it seemed that very little happened as a result of the report. It's been a little while, but, but I, you know, as I think back, just out of curiosity, asking myself the same question, uh, what was going on that day or at that time? You know, so, so we had things like the Zika virus outbreak, um, which, I don't know, seems to have disappeared from the news now. What else? Uh, you know, the typical pro-choice and anti-abortion rallies, you know, continuing political violence in the U.S., There was a plane wreck. We had the death of a former CEO a day after being indicted for conspiracy. There was, you know, a girl raped and killed in India, car bombs, even a measles warning for people flying from Beijing to Vancouver. So talk about chaos. In our defense, we did have a lot in our minds that day. No defense needed, Jeff, although I see how my question could be construed as judgmental. Please remember, I'm still navigating this third dimension voice that I'm using to communicate with you in humanity. So, there were a lot of distractions, a lot of chaos. So what did you deduce from your observation? I don't know. I I guess it wasn't really a headline story. 
So it got buried in all the other news. And probably, you know, that it wasn't really a big deal since it was only temporary. I mean, what are you deducing from it, Keeper? What I might deduce from it all is, so what? If I were a human and not in immediate life-threatening danger, I might say that none of what you reported that day personally affected me. Nothing in my life changed as a result of any of it. I still got up in the morning, got into my petroleum-fueled vehicle, picked up a hot beverage on my way to a job, which I probably disdain, and then I forgot about all the things you mentioned once I got there. I'm hearing that judgment again, Keeper. And, uh, and by the way, I want to use it in this conversation. So if I understand you correctly, in spite of all the horrors happening simultaneously in this world, in addition to the global climate crisis, if I could still go out and get my coffee, nothing's really wrong. Well, let me ask you, are you in any imminent physical danger right now? Well, no. Are you socially and economically stable with a roof over your head and a job and an income? It's a matter of opinion. And, and yes, I've got enough of what I need. So I'm, I'm not in danger there either. So where's the urgency to stand up and say stop? Or is the urgency for anyone for that matter? Anyone who wasn't personally affected, you mean? So what we're saying here is, do we have to be in some kind of personal danger to react to any one of those events that happen on that day? You know, with respect to climate change, is it not enough that we're being told by experts that something worse is going to happen? It feels like we're on the precipice. We, we can see the effects of global warming around the world and superstorms and earthquakes. Oceans are dying and our sea levels are rising. I mean, we don't have to touch a hot stove to know that we're going to get burned. Actually, maybe that's not a good example. Oh, it'll do for the sake of this conversation. Climate change and global warming is a tipping point that will create another series of tipping points, all in balance and seemingly out of balance with one another and all connected. It's actually a bit more urgent than a hot stove, but it's close enough for now. What are those other tipping points, Keeper? Can you, can you share with us? Well, I can talk about some of them because you already know about them. In fact, you just mentioned some of them. For example, consider the possibility that the sea levels rise many times faster than your human scientists are predicting. Imagine, say, sea levels rising by more than 10 feet in the next 50 years, because it's definitely possible. Where do you geographically make your home, Jeff? Me? Uh, Bogota, Colombia. Oh, well, maybe for you, not in your lifetime. Let me ask you this. Did that answer just give you relief? Did it give you a sense of complacency because it probably won't happen in your lifetime or it won't happen to you? And again, it's not a judgment question. My intention here is to highlight human behavior. So they just call this an experiment. Yeah, I was relieved for a moment, yes. Living up at 8,500 feet after all. Uh, I'll admit it. And I really hate that I had that reaction because it does nothing to change the impending disasters others will experience. I do consider myself a global citizen. So I can't actually believe that I might idly sit by because everything is going to be okay for me. Oh dear, that's a big part of the problem. It's not going to be okay for you, even though you might live at an altitude that won't be directly affected by sea levels rising for hundreds of years. The fact is that the people who do experience it will impact you in your life in ways that you haven't even considered, because you are all connected. What happens to one of you happens to all of you. Okay, I get it. Yeah. I'm as much a product of humanity as anyone else, even though I believe I'm a conscious human being. So let me throw another example out there since we're talking about the ocean. There are some oceans in which temperatures are rising to the highest levels in recorded human history. And yet at the same time, in some oceans, particularly where there's ice, the waters are actually cooling. So uh, what can you say about that? Yes, that example you shared, the ice is melting faster than expected 
creates an anomaly of cooling water temperature, slows down the circulation of ocean currents. Right, and it's called the global ocean conveyor. It happened once before, actually, a very long time ago. Did you know that? You're going to talk about mass extinctions, aren't you? Yes, well, just one of them for now. And it happened a long time ago. But don't let that move you to complacency, unless you're already complacent. That was sarcasm again, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. You're getting a little too good at this, Keeper. I mean, you're at the point where you're moving to the zone of like, yeah, I'd go for a beer with that guy, or other worldly being. Anyhow, tell me about this other time. So about 13,000 of your years ago, there was a rapid cooling of the oceans. It was enough to result in extinction of many megafauna and a specific society of humans called the Clovis, once thought to be the earliest human societies to inhabit the North Americas. Now, of course, there are findings that suggest that there were earlier humans prior to the Clovis. But I digress. Jeff, keep me on track, please. I'll do my best, Keeper. Uh, so let's come back. What about the Clovis people? <laughs> I thought that might capture your attention. A society of humans that disappeared completely because of extreme climate change. And it wasn't the only time humans lived and perished as a tribe or a society within the species, although it's never happened before as an entire species. And megafauna, right? I mean, just to be sure the listeners are all with us on this, we're talking about large mammals. Giant tortoises and mammoths and mastodons, to be more specific. And they all went extinct along with the Clovis people. All of them, yes. So while there might have been many other variables at play, certainly in any chaotic system nearing its point of divergence, even a small disturbance can result in huge outcomes. Uh, you're talking about feedback amplification. This is where every link in the feedback loop is both cause and effect. Very good, Jeff. Feedback amplification. That actually describes the three lenses together and the delicate balance between them. And that brings me back to the environment and your weather patterns and the chaos. And I choose this word intentionally to include the more powerful, more extreme and more frequent storms. The increase in methane and carbon dioxide gases in your atmosphere, for example. Desertification, forest fires, and all those human-made chemicals released into the atmosphere and the oceans and the soil. Mind you, this is nothing compared to the real dangers. Okay, Keeper, if that's not the real danger, then, then what is? Because to me, that seems like a, a pretty real danger. Well, specific tipping points will impact humanity, yes. And we've had that conversation that humanity is not essential to the Earth's continuation before, haven't we? There is a tipping point for that too, by the way. And yet the real danger is to the planets and the megafauna that you have now, like whales and dolphins and manatees as well as the other fauna and microscopic beings and plants that call the oceans their home. Think about your once magnificent coral reefs, for example. Water is life, Jeff. I hear you, and I'm heartbroken. And let me be the voice of the listener for a moment. I don't know what I can do about it all. I mean, I can donate to nonprofits that support the sustainability of our oceans, for example. Cleanups and, you know, protection. We're nonprofits that support wildlife. I can also be mindful uh, about how I throw things away, since there really is no away on our planets. And believe me, I see this in the city I live in. It drives me crazy. Uh, it all ends up somewhere, just somewhere we can't see, and obviously so we can forget about it. So that, that's what you're talking about, I realize. But, but tell me, other than that, how can I make a difference on a global scale? That takes us back to purpose, doesn't it? Now, it might not be your purpose to save the oceans or the wildlife or humanity for that matter, 
But living consciously and mindfully, that's the purpose of every human. So whatever you can do, you must. And there's something else here as I say that, Jeff. What's that? Well, it's that for many, giving up what they believe is their good life for the sake of a bigger purpose may feel like a sacrifice and it's something they're not willing to do. There is a reluctance in humanity around that that I'm feeling even as I say it. This good life, you realize, it's a privilege that not many on your planet actually have. Although if you do have it, you take it pretty much for granted. And there's something else. When we talked about the duality of purpose, a soul's purpose and a life purpose, finding that greater purpose helps clear the way for the soul's purpose to do what it's supposed to do, whether it's working towards the sustainability of the planet or something else. Do you know how many times that purpose has come up on the list? Sustainability, I mean. If there aren't enough of you here to do that by now, I'm not sure what it'll take. If only you could shed your ego about your individual lives, what might humanity find living underneath? This is human potential. So to summarize what you're saying, Keeper, essentially in order to save Earth, we've got to let go of our egos and our stories and transfer that into work and stewardship of humanity and the planet. We've got to get together. Does, did I summarize that correctly? Well, the together part's very nice. And yes, the land you've divided into countries to exist separately will need to come together again to save the planet. A huge shift in your global politics will need to take place for that. Well, and we've had some very positive events towards that purpose. I mean, you know, there's been the Earth Summit, there's the Paris Climate Summit, uh, the Global Sustainability Summit. And marches across the planet for human rights all happening simultaneously. But I'm pleased that you're thinking in terms of mobilization because that's a critical element for change. And I realize that there's one more effect that we haven't mentioned that has to do with oceans and cooling. Are you familiar with what your oceanographers and meteorologists and other humans doing this kind of work called the blob? That's the most interesting name, by the way. <laughs> it is. And I've heard of the blob and not just the cult movie. Um, do you want to tell that one or should I? Go ahead, Jeff. You tell the story this time. Okay. The blob was, uh, how should I put it, this crazy deadly patch of warm water, which was situated between the Gulf of Alaska and, and Baja, California. It did irreparable damage to the marine ecosystem in that stretch of ocean. Well, along with other events, like your Fukushima nuclear disaster, which five years later, you should know, continues to seep radiation into the Pacific Ocean, despite assurances that it's all under control. Yes, yeah. I follow those stories, so I'm aware of what's going on there, and it seems the radiation that everyone's telling us is contained has already reached BC and California. Well, yes, you can now eat your salmon and glow in the dark at the same time. Yet no one seems to be too worried. Only a handful of humans mobilized. So I have to ask the question again. Are you still economically sound? No physical danger to your human form? Are you able to pick up your coffee on the way to your J-O-B? Man, there really is something about it needing to be personal for us, isn't there? Living so far away from California and British Columbia. It really has to be tangible, you know, for everybody. Like, unless we can touch it or it's going to touch us, we just ignore it. Jeff, the blob was actually literally cooking the Pacific Ocean. It was killing plankton, which in turn tipped survival rates for species that depended on it. Those fauna of which we spoke, species like sea lions and sea otters and fin whales, sea stars, jellyfish, ocean feeding seabirds. It increased the toxic algae blooms, which poisoned the crustaceans. You humans eat those, don't you? Crustaceans. Yes, it is tangible and it is personal. And you're so fearful you can't look at it. 
there's a bit of denial going on there, if you ask me. Yes, and I'm going to play devil's advocate um, because the blob, as I understand it, is gone, right? I mean, it disappeared around the time that El Nino began with its severe storms on the planet. Just disappeared. It disappeared, but not its consequences. True, J just the blob itself. Right. So the damage was done. What does it matter if the cause is gone? It matters because all of those beings in the Pacific Ocean were fundamental to the ecosystem's balance. Many of them were part of the food chain, in fact. Humans are neither fundamental to the balance nor essential to the food chain. You must take my word for that. You're an anomaly here. <laughs> an anomaly that's reached almost 7 billion strong, by the way. So should we substitute the word mistake for anomaly? Because it feels like that's what you're saying, that, that humans were a mistake. We talked about ego in our first conversation, Jeff, so that question feels a bit reactionary. Humans were not a mistake, and we'll talk more about that too soon, I promise you. Here's the thing about ego. Your belief in your own importance has been a contributing factor to your stories of where you are right now in the history of humanity and your human potential. It's also taken you into an alternative universe on planet Earth, one that runs parallel with the rest of the ecosystem and diametrically opposed to it at the same time. It still feels pretty harsh, uh, all things considered. Well, that's a fair comment. I should say not all of humanity is an anomaly. The indigenous peoples of your world are part of the nature of the planet. There's no ego there, only co-creation. So we could subtract 370 million from that number, if you like. Keeper, you're killing me here. So wait, wait a second, let's back up. You said that we got to see ourselves in each other and each other in ourselves. So if we're really all one and the same, how did the ego thing happen? Well, from which lens? Your environment, the second lens, changed a large number of humans. It developed their egos because there was a great wanting in the space for more. In the human-soul connection, the first lens, is what creates the variables that impact soul's purpose. And there is something more in the infinite that I'm not actually ready to say yet about the ego thing. And will you, uh, at some point in the future? Well, yes, when the time comes to say it. Okay. So we've talked about need and want. Uh, we've also talked about perfection and imperfection. And these all seem to be part of this conversation since you brought up the indigenous peoples. Indigenous peoples imagine that there's nothing better than living in harmony with earth. That is their perfection. They have what they need. Humans who walked away from the natural world into agriculture and then industry became separate from themselves and from the earth. They found perfection in personal gain and then imperfection because they wanted more. That's a want, not a need, you see? Yes, yes, and well put, Keeper, thank you. So what do we do? I mean, how are we gonna save ourselves? Well, if you humans choose to continue, you must save the ecosystem, Jeff. That's a gentle reminder of how ego is so ingrained in your stories, by the way. If you think about it, it's really unforgivable. There's an entire planet dying just so that you can still have someone make your venti, non-fat, no foam, no water, six pump, extra hot latte delivered in a plastic cup. And I realize there's no way to make that sound anything other than judgmental, so please forgive me this time. Well, come on, Jeff, I didn't mean to be harsh. Well, maybe I did, actually. But what will it take for you all to realize that? I say wake up and smell the coffee, but that kind of defeats the purpose of my last statement. If you want to save yourselves, you must save the planet and the beings that keep the planet alive. You humans live here at its pleasure and at their pleasure. It's just that simple. So is that our awakening? Survival of the planet and all living things so that we too survive.
Even then, Jeff, listen to your choice of words. Are you only saving the planet and all living things so you can survive? Or are you saving the planet and all living things because they're precious and must be saved? The fact that you get to survive too is an added bonus. So I prefer to call it understanding that you were created to be part of the infinite, not to control it. All right, uh, wait. What you just said, that we're part of the infinite, not created to control it. You did say something similar last time when we were talking about hell, and I asked you about the devil. Uh, am I remembering that correctly? Don't you just love the interconnectedness of everything? So I'm going to be deliberately elusive here. I hope you don't mind. Perhaps synchronously, I'm aware that our time together today is coming to an end, and these conversations are taking so much more time than I imagined. You can't just tell a human something, can you? You're catching on to something very critical about us, Keeper. Absolutely. And you're going to be deliberately elusive, huh? Okay, so I'm going to assume that I'm on to something with that question. But I'll continue to ignore the question, and I'll remember it at the same time, Jeff, one step at a time, one conversation at a time. The point of all of this is that you've been surviving in the name of progress for centuries, which is actually really only a second in all of the millions of years that humans have been on the planet. You don't want to give anything up because you haven't had your progress and convenience for very long. There's a million years of suffering in your DNA and you are afraid of going backwards. But the consequence of that is that you've literally left your mark on the planet that you call home. I'm sure. No, you misunderstand me, Jeff. The consequences of your actions will leave a mark on the geological timescale, meaning that there will be a distinct layer for this Anthropocene epoch in the Earth's geological time. Okay. Uh, Keeper, say that again and in English for my listeners. Oh, I could say it in any language in the human realm and most other species as well, if you like. <laughs> I bet. Generations, if there are future generations, take a look at Earth's geological layers. There will be a distinct layer in the Earth's crust that's called human interference. So, Keeper, can you help us understand how we caused it? I mean, is it all the man-made materials like, like concrete and plastics, for example? Well, all that and more. Testing nuclear weapons, dropping the atomic bomb. Oh, past tense, I meant. So I keep coming back to the question. Can we change things? Can we reverse the damage? To answer that, I repeat that you need to think bigger than yourselves, bigger than saving humans. May I suggest thinking about life rather than just your own survival? You can't have the good life which I mentioned earlier if the planet is dying, especially if your good life is what's killing the planet, can you? No, we most definitely cannot. And why would we want that at the expense of this planet? Well, most of you don't want that. And yet there is greed in your world as many young souls assume leadership around the planet. If you remember, young souls are the ones who love rules and punishment, power and control. So you're experiencing the added challenge of those in power forsaking the environment and species and humans for profit. Those for whom nothing is ever enough. Oh, you're getting me just a little bit animated now, Keeper. Um, you know, as I think about it, it's like, what, what's wrong with this world when our leaders model those kinds of values? Uh, can you answer that for me? Why are we allowing those kinds of leaders to be our models? Because I'd really like to know. You're at a great turning point in your stories. Sometimes you need to see what you fear most and deny most and even hate most to purge it in yourselves. It needs to be personal. There is such potential in you humans. You have the potential to be remarkable beings. Actually, you are remarkable beings. When you're at your best, meaning your passion, courage, and humility, 
astonishing things happen. And paradoxically, you're also the most dangerous beings on your planet. And when you're that, astonishing things happen there too. What can destroy brilliantly can create brilliantly. And what can create so brilliantly can also destroy brilliantly. What will it take for you to choose? How personal must it become for you to stand up and say, stop? Are you asking me? Um, no, not you specifically, but feel free to construct a response if you want. Just knowing that humanity lives out of balance with the ecosystem makes me want to do something about it. I still don't know what to do. Uh, I get the point that we've created a parallel existence on planet Earth and we're still in the ecosystem because we use it. Got it. And use it to excess. And we created all of that in the name of progress because we could. There have been some remarkable scientific breakthroughs and discoveries as a result of progress. Isn't that also human potential? Everything you need to survive is already here, Jeff. When you talk about scientific breakthroughs and discoveries, I think about the artificial pharmaceuticals you've created that counteract the diseases that you also created when everything you need is already here and nothing artificial is required. Everything you need is provided by the planet you're living on. You've evolved so dramatically since your creation and you're on the precipice of evolving beyond expectations, still very reluctantly, and yet the possibility of something unexpected is here in your human potential. Let's call humanity the fulfilling of a wanting in the infinite space for the sake of something bigger than it could even know at the time. That's pretty esoteric, but it does make humanity sound important. So for now, I'm going to take it. It is important for now. Might it not be at some point? Well, I wasn't foreshadowing there, Jeff, but you do need to know that when we speak of the infinite, the importance of humanity matters less than humanity wants it to. And yes, humanity is important right now. May I ask you something else? You are the keeper of soul's purpose. So your role is to send souls to the human realm with their purpose. Are you seeing human potential? Are you seeing anything that says there's hope? The indigo and crystal children who are incarnating into your realm are all coming with a purpose that supports a humane and balanced system. But they are children. It will be some time before they're able to influence the planet as a mobilized consciousness. So what I meant was, are you seeing any hope in those of us who are here and able to mobilize? Not sure about you, but I'm not waiting around for someone else to solve things, no matter how conscious they are. Well, that's a good answer, Jeff. What's truly important is remembering that saving the planet and all living beings is a noble quest. It will also save you, although that's not the biggest reason to do it. And until we get there, are we in for worse times? More lives and species lost? There's already been more than one species lost to extinction in just the time we've been talking today, Jeff. And ultimately, it's your choice to make. Then the soul's realm will provide what's needed once those choices have been made. And how are we ever going to do this? How can we change deeply entrenched systemic problems without breaking them wide open? Do you remember the dimensions of being, Jeff? The fourth dimension's the bridge, right? Where and when the old stories are rewritten. And this is especially important for human potential. Do you remember a time when your experts claimed that no human could run a mile in less than four minutes because the human body just wasn't capable of doing something so incredible? As a runner, I know the story really well, yes. So once that story was disproved, once a human actually ran a mile in under four minutes, another human was able to do it remarkably soon after. And then more and more humans did it. Nowadays, any of your strong school-age humans can run that distance in that time. Why is that? We didn't think it was possible before it happened. Rather like crossing a temperature you never imagined you'd cross. 
It will happen again, by the way, perhaps quite a few times before it happens for the final time. Do you think it's possible to save the planet and all its beings, well, the ones that still remain, to save yourselves? There are those on Earth, those who've remembered the old ways, who are trying to do that right now. There are even some who've given up their good life in pursuit of the greater purpose, not because they had to, but because it called on them to do so. You know, Keeper, I do believe it's possible, and at least I want to believe. Well, as soon as you choose to believe, you will step into a potential that none of you thought possible, and then others will follow, and you'll mobilize. You may even astound us. Wouldn't that be something? It would indeed. I always seem to have more questions after we speak than when we started. Well, do you realize that that's part of your purpose? Me? I'm just doing my job. Hmm. That energy shift you just experienced, did you feel it? I sense it here in the realm, which tells me that you know it's true. I'm most grateful to see your soul's work in action. So to answer your question about how you're going to do this, you have to start from where you are and with who you are. Is there anything else you want to say before we end this interview? Since we've mentioned movies a while back, I will admit to you, Jeff, that at first I was amused to learn how you humans spend your time. You watch things. You like to watch things like speculative fiction and the things you call TV or movies. As you said, so much of what you watch is about Earth's and humanity's destruction. And in these speculative fictions, humanity does always survive. Yeah, there is something to that. Yes, always. And ironically, some of those are my favorite movies. Go back and consider the four-minute mile. Ah, okay. I think I get what you're saying. We may only have one chance at saving the planet. Unlike the four-minute mile, we may only get one chance. So our science, or, or what did you call it? Speculative fiction is the only way we can believe there's potential in humanity for a successful outcome? Oh, well, you understand the subtleties of the art form, Jeff. True or not, if the belief serves you, it was worth noticing. I think it was, and uh, I may never be able to watch a movie the same way again. Is there anything else you want to say about climate and human potential? Well, there's certainly more to say. Two thoughts, and here's the first one. Based on what you've heard in these conversations about the three lenses, the relationship between humans and souls, the environment, and evolution, if anyone professes that climate change is a hoax or even an exaggeration, understand that something very basic is missing in that human story about the three lenses. Consciousness depends upon your understanding and integrating the lenses. It depends on their balance and their relationship. Only the unconscious uses the planet to enrich its own well-being. Be warned that it will continue to tell you that climate change isn't real because the unconscious is willing to sacrifice you and the planet for its own material gain. This is third dimension being at its darkest. True. It's terribly dark. And, dare I say, it's at play in our world today big time. What's the second thing you want us to remember? I want you to remember that it's not about saving yourselves. It's about saving the planet and all living things, being in the greater purpose. Jeff, you humans are amazing beings of creation. The only things that hold you back are the stories you tell yourselves about your limits. Know that you've been created as multidimensional beings, capable of a lot more than you know. And now I think I'm complete for today. Thank you, Keeper. Any idea what we'll talk about next time? Well, I'd like to talk about messiahs and messengers in the LGBT community, but there may be some more context to establish about the origins of Earth and humans before we do that. And separatism and racism. That's a pressing topic too. So many things to talk about.
we'll just have to see where this one takes us, won't we? Fair enough. And we all wait eagerly to hear what you have to say. Thanks again, Keeper. And thanks to my listeners for all the questions and comments. If you have more questions, anything that you'd like me to ask the Keeper, or want to continue the conversation with me, please reach out to me at jeff at voiceofevolutionradio.com or Linda, our producer, at linda at voiceofevolutionradio.com. Until next time.